0: Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker.
1: And and like you said on that podcast that you did about what it takes to become a professional fisherman here in the Keys, is you do have to live in your car. You do have to scrub toilets. You do have to go through that, and you do have to put in your time. And um, I was lucky enough to um, be taken in by a wonderful family at Bud Mary's Marina, um, the Stanzics. Yeah. And they are just a God blessing to me. Um, they started my career and um, I got to learn so much. And I got to work in the tackle shop and see the day-to-day in and outs of charter business. And, and to watch these customers come in, because no matter what you do, customer service is, is number one, whether you're in the healthcare world or whether you're in the fishing world. This is Captain Deb Deo and I'm with Blue Water Girl Charters and this is the Tom Rowland Podcast. Mm.
2: Welcome to the podcast today. I love to find stories of people that change their life, people that pursue their passion, people that make it happen, do something extraordinary, do something that people thought that they couldn't do. People, you know, doubt, doubters. People think it's impossible to go down to the Keys and become a fishing guide, but it's not. And our guest today, Captain Deb Deo, Blue Water Girl Charters, she did just that. $300 and her car. She goes down there. She did. followed all the advice that I've given out before and many others have given out that if you really want to do something, start at the bottom, do whatever it takes, make it happen. And that's exactly what she did. This is an inspiring story. And uh, I hope you stick around for this entire interview with Captain Deb Deo of Blue Water Girl Charters. All right, Deb, how are you?
1: Wonderful. How are you today,
2: man? I'm doing well, doing very well. Outstanding. Yeah. In fact, thank um, you
1: for having me on today. Well, thank
2: you for doing this. And thank you for the note that you wrote. That was really, really mm. cool. I, I, I just thought it was really cool. Um, that, First of all, I couldn't believe that I that I've been doing this podcast long enough for somebody to get inspiration to go get their captain's license and start a business. <laughs> it seems yes. like I started it yesterday, <laughs> but tell me tell me your story, like what's going on you're 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 a charter guide now in Key Largo. Um, yes so how did it happen what what's what's the story?
1: Well, I started fishing the Florida Keys at age five with my mom and dad, and uh, I fished offshore inshore. Until I was like 20 years old and um just moved back and had a life in North Carolina and uh graduated college, um had a career in healthcare. And one day I woke up and I was like, you know what? I really want to fish, you know, and you're such an inspiration because you know, you you've taught me so much from my couch. Really? To become who I am today. <laughs> really? Yes. Like what? Yes. Yes, absolutely. You know, anywhere from knots to uh, stalking a, a, a snook and the right jig head to use and the tackle. And you're an online teacher and you have really inspired a lot of people you probably don't know that you have.
2: Well, that's I I may not. I may not know that. I mean, I know that that a lot of people watch some of the stuff, but uh, that's very nice of you to say. But I'm interested in in like this, this day that you wake up and you decide that you really just want to fish. Um, so you're in the healthcare world. What what are you doing there?
1: Um, I was running. I was doing corporate healthcare. Um, I'm a nurse, and um, just you know, did a bunch of corporate healthcare, and and life was stressed out. You know, it's that nine to five, mm-hmm. and you know, you wake up one day and you're like, I really want to change, but how do you do that? Well, you take $300 in your vehicle and you drive south as far as you can go. Is that (laughs)
2: what you had really? You had 300 bucks in your vehicle?
1: Yes. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yep. And, And like you said on that podcast that you did about what it takes to become a professional fisherman here in the Keys is you do have to live in your car. You do have to scrub toilets. You do have to go through that and you do have to put in your time. And um, I was lucky enough to um, be taken in by a wonderful family at Bud Mary's Marina, um, the Stanzics. Yeah. And they are just a God blessing to me. Um, They started my career and um, I got to learn so much. And I got to work in the tackle shop and see the day-to-day in and outs of charter business and, and to watch these customers come in because no matter what you do, Customer service is is number one. Whether you're in the healthcare world or whether you're in the fishing world, it's all about who you have on your boat and what their experience and adventure is.
2: Man, that is awesome. So, how from from leaving North Carolina with three hundred dollars in your vehicle, mm-hmm. how do you get hooked up with the Stanzics?
1: Well, I first started um, working at Robbie's Marina flogging off pelicans off the tarpon dock. (laughs) That's how I first started. You know, when you live out your childhood dream, I guess you got to start from the bottom and that's the bottom. Um, But you know, I worked there for like two or three weeks and um, they were hiring at the tackle shop. So I applied for a job and being a woman in this field is, is quite difficult in this sport, I call it. But, you know, you just got to get up and you got to have tough skin and you got to just get up and be the first one at the docks every morning and the last one to leave. And I would work my eight hour shift in the tackle shop. And then I would go out in my skiff or, or the, you know, the bait skiff company used, And I learned how to backcountry fish. And um, then I started um, fishing with, um, with Richard, the um, Nick's father, Nick and Rick's father. What a legend. And um, I've done over three hundred bonefish trips with him.
2: With him, like as a mate.
1: Yeah, as a mate. Really? Yeah. Yes.
2: That's amazing. Yes. Um, he is. I mean, I'm sure you know, but he is oh, yeah. the legend of legends. I mean, mm-hmm. I used to yeah. w- watch him with all the zinc oxide. Does he still put the zinc oxide <laughs> yes, everywhere?
1: absolutely. <laughs> he would yes. just
2: put it on like a <laughs> like so much and so thick. I mean, I'm yeah. assuming that he has some, cool. some areas on his face that he's got to be super careful of and has for a while. But he right. would put that zinc oxide on, and I would see him in Saltwater Sportsman, and I would see him in every magazine. And I was like, man, that he's the guy. I mean, especially in, in downtown Isla Morata, uh, when the big, big bonefish were there. I mean, he was, he was the man. He really was. Yeah. So you had the opportunity to do 300 trips with him mm-hmm. starting yes when? over
1: the last three years, over the last and three
2: years. So yeah,
1: and-
2: what, this is really interesting because as, as you know, um, the, the days of the, of the, giant Isla marada bonefish, um, are not quite the same as they once were. No. So what, what's his opinion on that? I mean, I, I should, I would love to ask him that one day, but, um, <laughs> you know, when he's going fishing and you're doing these 300 charters with him, are you bone fishing or are you doing something else?
1: Yeah. It's a combination between bonefish and, and permit tarpon, whatever, it depends on the time of the year, but his passion is definitely bone fishing. Um, but he showed me the light of of the Florida Bay and and the adventures you can have and just showed me the serenity that it can give you. And the backcountry does something to your soul. And his wisdom and his teachings um provided me um the path of where I'm at now and being able to fish. And it's it's you know, I started I started in a bait shop. I started catching bait every day, you know. And, um, and then come to now I have, you know, a backcountry boat that I run and, and, and I absolutely are loving life. And and it's because of, because of that family.
2: Yeah. Well, that's amazing. And we're going to get to how, how, what, what you're doing right now, but Mm -hmm. I, I, I'm just interested, um, in, in the takeaways that you would get, I mean, the, the opportunity that you had. Uh, that you have and that you had to do 300 trips with Richard Stanzik that, that is an amazing opportunity that really anyone that knows anything about South Florida history of fishing would, would, would be very impressed with. So I'm just wondering, like, what are the big takeaways when you think about those days that you spent with him and then how you apply it to your life or how you apply it to your new career? What are the big takeaways that you, that you have?
1: Probably the biggest one is patience. And, you know, you, you don't, you never, you never leave until you're finished <laughs> and there ain't no damn crying in baseball, neither. And, you know, you just, you just got to do it. And he's, he was a big motivation and a big coach and a mentor towards me. And, um, he allowed me to, to show other people now what his skill and and his level and, and I'll never, ever, ever be anywhere close to his level, but just having his company and just having, you know, to be able to spend that time with him and learn from a legend himself, you know, when you love fishing, like you do. And like I do, you know, what kind of company that is.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so when, how did that, how did that opportunity present itself? I mean, you're working in the tackle shop, you're, you're, you're catching bait in the mornings. How did that progress to actually going out and being, you know, a mate for, for Richard Stanzik?
1: Well, he takes his employees out fishing with him. Um, some, and you know, we got to the point and I think that he saw the passion that I have for bonefish. Um, I eat, breathe and sleep it. And I have tunnel vision when it comes to fishing and <laughs> I've done that for the last three years. You gotta grind every day. And it just he, he I guess when you share the same passion as someone else, it's easy to get along with on a flat. And and I would consider him such as a father figure and, and a mentor. And um and he's really shown me the light and and also, you know, showed me a new life, a happy one.
2: Mm-hmm. And So, but at one point you're, you're just kind of an employee that he's taken out fishing. And then obviously something changes there to where he's like, I think you're better suited out here than you are in the bait shop because you're spending 300 days out there or 300 Mm -hmm. trips with him. Right. So did, did, was there a moment where, or a time where he kind of transitioned you out of the bait shop into, you know, full-time on the boat?
1: No, that's when Corona happened. That was, that was coming. and, And then we, um, Know, the corona started and you know we were shut down and every nobody knew what was going to happen at that point um so I actually um just moved to Key Largo because I had to and you know started it from there and then and, and went from there so it's 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 a really kind of a, a weird fireball that just went on because of corona it allowed me to start my business and and but then it also you know took me away from from that magical experience that I had fishing with legendary um captain.
2: Mhm. And so when you want to when when all this happens you have to move to Key Largo is that did you have your captain's license yet do you
1: Yes. You so I waited yeah, I waited to get my captain's license. Um I waited two and a half years before I applied for one even though I had the hours cuz I own my own vessel in North Carolina. But I didn't want to step on anyone's toes when I got here. And I wanted to pay my dues and I wanted to come in and I wanted to, to, um, to learn. And, you know, I'm the biggest thing sometimes about a fisherman is their ego. And I decided that I just want to learn from the legends. I want to learn how to do this the correct way. And so I waited, um, a little while and then I went online and, um, And uh, you probably know Mr. Flynn Smith. Oh, yeah. I want to
2: have him on the podcast so bad. He has been responsible (laughs) for virtually every fisherman's captain's license that you've ever heard of. Um, yes. I mean, he He's is an amazing
1: man. He and his his really is. is amazing. Yeah. You, so I'm getting ready to go back and get my masters. The,
2: okay. Did you do it on his boat? Or was he doing that with COVID now? Because there was one point where he had, he had a boat and he would take the students out in the boat and you would actually mm-hmm. fire the flares and you would do all this. I didn't, I was before that and then the boat came later and then I don't right. know what the status of the boat is now, but um, yeah, that guy is basically responsible for, so mm-hmm. many captain's licenses. I mean, pretty much everybody I yes. ask, oh yeah, I got it from Flint, Flint Smith. Yeah. Yeah. He's a, he's a he's cool dude and a tropical fish yeah, I did fish the collector. whole
1: program online and it was, it was wonderful. And, you know, and I, they test on Saturdays and he goes through the whole entire thing. It's like being in the classroom. Um, you're just going through all the techniques online <laughs> and on the computer.
2: Where did you take your test?
1: Uh, down in uh, his house. You did? Yes. And
2: he didn't have that ability. <laughs> When I was there and Miami was not exactly the way that it is today. And I remember you had to go to the Claude Pepper, uh, building in Miami, right? That's, that was the name of the government building there. And at the time, I don't know if Miami was just not as nice as it is today, or if I just picked the wrong area and the wrong hotel but I will never forget going up there. I was super nervous because I was this was my test. I was supposed to take the captain's license. I had done his class, but then we were going to go up to Miami. So I didn't have anybody to go with. I'd go by myself, and I'd just get a room at the closest hotel because you had to be at the door of that Claude Pepper building or wherever we, we had to mm-hmm. go. We had to be at the door at like 6.30. So there wasn't going to be a lot of time in the morning to get there. So I just picked the closest hotel, which was a bad choice. It was a horrible choice. (laughs) And I remember this was the worst hotel I've ever stayed in. I went there and I think I was staying on the 14th floor and it was really pretty high, maybe even higher. And I opened the door and I was like, whoa, this place is rough. And... (laughs) <laughs> and I close the door and there are like six locks on the back of the door. And then there's one of those bars that you put Uh-oh. up against the door and it has like a, a thing in the floor. And then, so I started locking all those doors. I, guess, I mean, I guess these are here for a reason. And I lock all those doors and then I'll go over to the, to the um, balcony. And we're on the 14th floor and there are all these locks on the balcony door. I was like, people are going to crawl up here and get in here. Like, that's what they're worried about. And we're on the, I mean, I looked out over the balcony Mm -mm. really high. Um, That was the worst hotel I've ever stayed in. And, and I did get up in the morning and, and uh, went and <laughs> took the test. And
0: You
1: actually and, slept? <laughs> uh,
2: I don't know if I slept much, but uh, that was terrible. Now, going back to Miami, like when I go for the Miami Boat Show or whatever, I've looked for that hotel. And I'm pretty sure almost 100% that it's been torn down and replaced with something much nicer, like a Whole Foods or something <laughs> really nice. Uh, but. I don't know what that hotel was. Some person that lived in Miami all their life. They Mm -hmm. probably know exactly what I'm talking about, but I hope your experience taking the test was not, was not that. (laughs) That's what I remember. It was, I I didn't know if I was going to make it back to Key West. Um, but anyway, so, so you get this license, um, and then what?
1: And I just, I start fishing. Um, every day um i fished 300 years uh, th- 300 days in um in 2020
2: wow and so you I got did. your own boat or how did you
1: yeah and I do what... i have a 16 foot chaos okay um bonefish edition um beautiful she's got um white gunnel. she's got that carolina flare nice i love that
2: and so, so you got you buy you're able to buy this boat from working at the tackle shop and mm-hmm. uh, and and going out and being a mate mm-hmm. that's awesome
1: yeah that's awesome and and then I took a job um running a um well I took a job as a mate on a, a thirty foot game fisherman here in Key Largo. And that's really kind of what moved me to Key Largo because I had it, you know, I had the backcountry boat, but I did that more um for fun. Mm-hmm. But I had to make money somehow. Um yeah. so I I took a job as a mate and um something happened to the captain and um I was said, Well, you can run this boat, you do it. So here I am running a 30 a foot game fisherman single rudder, single screw, 315, uh Yenmar. You know, I mean it's 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 quite a big change from a from a backcountry boat to an offshore boat. Wow. And um so I um I run that now and um run a few trips on it and um yeah. It, I, but my love is in the back country. It's going to, I want to be there full time. So
2: what will it take for you to get back there?
1: Um, I don't, I don't know. Um, I mean, are you May,
2: running any trips in the back country right now? Or yeah, I'm doing some bonefish charters and okay. stuff
1: like that. And I do some stuff offshore. And then I also um, work is, is I'm kind of running a boat, but in, in the process of learning, because all of us captains, we always just want to learn, learn, learn. So, I'm um, actually running a private gig down in Key West on a 70 foot Hatteras.
2: All right. Good. Well, so, you're at both yeah. ends of the Keys. You couldn't be further exactly. apart from your two jobs.
1: <laughs> yeah. So, but, you know, offshore is what I grew up doing with my father. So, um, I, I enjoy the troll. And, um, but, you know, it, it's something about sight casting and, and something about being out there in skinny water and seeing the monsters and, and that come out of there and the environment around you and the serenity. Of just watching nature yeah so well, that that's that's what i'm gonna do
2: so if you if you were to blue sky it and what what kind of uh what kind of customer base would you most like to have um if you were able to fish like that every day what kind of what kind of customers would you most like to have
1: um i'm really big in promoting women's fishing mm-hmm um, I, um, I'm on a board, um, called, um, sisterhood fishing. And there's um, a bunch of us that fish all around the United States. And, uh, I travel and fish with them or they come down here and fish with me. And I, I want to introduce women into this sport and show them that, you know, they can, I, I go to the boat ramp and I put my skiff in every day and I take it out every day by myself. You know, I, I you can, you can do anything that you put your mind to as long as you have passion for it. So, and, and that's, that's what I do, but um, pr- promoting women and, and bringing them in the sport and showing them that, you know, the outdoors is fun and, 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 you know, the beaches on the islands or the crocodiles or the, uh, the Rosyette spoonbills. I mean, just the, the nature out there. Um, but women and children and small families are, are definitely in what I enjoy mm-hmm. teaching.
2: Why, why do you think there are not more, I mean, like, like when you explain that to me, you're like, you, you want to promote that. Why is it a challenge? Why, why are there not more women in, in fishing? Why is it a male dominated sport?
1: Because fishing's hard.
2: And that's why women don't like it, but women no. do like it.
1: <laughs> I, they that's love what I'm it. They love it. Absolutely. But it takes a lot. You know, I put in 14, 15 hour days every day when I fish, you know, and I'm at the boat ramp before dawn and I'm back at sunset or a little after. And, you know, and then by the time I get home and I wash my skiff and, and, you know, it's, I'm putting in some days and some hours. Well,
2: yeah, of course, as a, that, that's on the guide side, but let's put yourself in the, in the position of just an angler, just a tourist. Why, why is just, why, in your opinion, as a, as a woman that likes to fish, why is it that more women like, like we always talk about, like the growth of fishing is going to be in women and in children. Um, and that's mostly mm-hmm. because it's a male dominated sport right now. Correct. What, what are the reasons? Why do you think that is? I mean, you just said that, it, you know, on a guide on a, you know, mm-hmm. you're doing 15 hour days, but you don't necessarily do that as a, just a tourist. You could take a half day. Why is it that right. fishing is, 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 you know, thought of as male?
1: And, and I think that, um, you know, when you get to offshore and inshore, I've seen a, a lot more women into the sport and I've seen, you know, these flats, flats guides and, and, and backcountry guides and, and there's women on board now. Um, I think that it's, it's coming more and more, and especially since when Corona happened, um, more women are getting outdoors and they're seeing that. So, you know, and they're, and they'll enjoy it. I'm not really sure why women aren't, taking over the <laughs> outdoors, honestly. But um I'm not I I absolutely love it. I have mm-hmm. no problems, hmm. you know, absolutely no problems being on a boat all day. Some women just don't like that sun. Some women just don't like that experience. So you know well, you some just, men it's, don't it's every I mean it, exactly it's cup of tea. Yeah. It's what is your cup of tea?
2: Yeah, but I always wonder like, you know, when you talk about growing growing fishing as a sport. One of the biggest mm-hmm. things is that fishing uh fishing and hunting both are kind of a they're kind of a passed down sport, kind of a passed down tradition. So if your grandmother, grandfather likes to fish and they teach you how to fish as a as a child, then you take that with you for your life. And it seems like for a while before corona, um we that was something that the fishing industry was kind of like Wow, we're losing kids. We're not getting Mm -hmm. these new kids. We're not getting this, and especially in the hunting of, you know, how do you incentivize people to pass it down? How? What are the reasons why you know kids aren't necessarily fishing? That's pretty easy to me. I mean, there's there's video games, there's computers, there's good stuff on TV. There's a million reasons why they might want to stay inside. um, That that there's a dopamine hit every time they touch their social media. There's lots of reasons. But um with women, I just kind of wonder like what what the major challenges are. I mean, I'm sure it's really hard to walk into a tackle shop full of a bunch of dudes drinking coffee and telling jokes and and you're kind of like, okay, I I need a dozen shrimp. You know, like that's kind of an uncomfortable situation, but that's an uncomfortable situation for somebody from out of town. That's an uncomfortable situation from if you've never walked into the tackle shop before. It makes it even doubly uncomfortable, probably, if you're a woman. But Mm -hmm. what do you think are the big challenges to overcome? What are are the barriers? Um, Probably
1: the biggest challenge is... is, um, is couples fishing, you know, a lot of a lot of women, they they want to either go with their husband or they want to go with their significant other whatever. But if women would come together and fish together as a friendship and a bonding thing, I think that that would inspire so many because when you're around a strong woman, um, you know, it it, it, determination happens. Good things happen out of that. So, um, you know, getting more women together and fishing together Versus, you know, yeah, let let your husband go out with this backcountry guy and you go out with me, you know, and and we'll see, you know, what we can do. But it's a different experience when you have a woman on the boat, I think. And it's a different experience when you have a woman in the tackle shop. And, Mm -hmm. you know, those women were more comfortable when they came in. They buy that dozen shrimp or whatever they were buying at that time. Mm -hmm. And it's that it's teaching from the beginning. It's teaching. Oh, well, you know what? This not this not, you know, and. You know, just getting them in and getting them involved. And yeah. then once they get involved, their children become involved. I was extremely lucky to have both of my parents into fishing. And I did it a lot. And i I knew at like age ten I was gonna be a turd captain. Yeah. I knew. Really? I just knew. Yeah, I knew. Oh, that's I knew cool. that when I when I was here at the Keys that I was gonna be back here one day, at a I just didn't know when. So
2: that's terrific. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's there's uh, there is something to uh, the women getting together, and several of our other guests. I've had Cheyenne Orvis on. She does a bunch of uh, women's trips uh, where they get together, and you know she just kind of tries to you know make it real casual, where you know you just get together, no dumb questions. Let's just show mm-hmm. you kind of a few things. Uh, the Gale Force Twins—they're doing a good job of that. Yes, um, they are. Yourself,
1: great girls. Um,
2: yeah, they really are. They're they're. They're awesome, man. I, They're I an inspiration
1: them. to women anglers out here, and, and and a lot of the kids. and And another one of your guests is uh, is Chastin. She's yeah. This, Oh yeah. She of course. She's the first guest. Well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so she is. Um. I remember seeing her walk the uh the docks at Bud Mary's and fishing with Nick before, and you know, she's she's really made leaps and bounds, and 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 such a wonderful wonderful heart that girl has.
2: Yeah. Now she she she's great. Um she's been, she's been true to her mission since the, mm-hmm. since before I even knew her. And that mm-hmm. was what drew me to her was like, this girl's like really trying to do something much bigger, you know, by helping others. And, and, uh, that was the reason that I reached out to her and yeah, she was the first podcast guest. That That's, it, uh, yes. she's great. <laughs> I That's really awesome. like her. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, um, what, uh, what are you doing now? What are you fishing much now? right now
1: yeah i i fished two days ago i went bone fishing two days ago i still trailer my skiff down to um the Lore line put in and and go from there because you know a lot of your your nice downtown isla Morata flats are right yes, off of there are. so yeah what's your opinion, so um
2: what's your opinion of the bone fishing you seem to be doing a ton of it with richard stanzik you're doing a ton of it yourself what's your opinion of the of the isla Morata bone fishing right now
1: um well of course i I believe like you said earlier it's definitely not what it used to be um i've seen some videos that would just absolutely blow anyone's mind of the tailors that used to happen um you know and we just don't have that now but when we had um you know that fish kill back in 2016 i think it took a a lot of the bonefish away and now they're starting to come back um Mm -hmm. i i caught um quite a few the other day and and it depends on you know what the conditions are, but our flats are coming back. Our grasses mm-hmm. are starting to grow. Yes. You know, they're starting to. You when you get up to a flat and you pull onto a flat and you see nothing but nature around you and activity, and you want to see that. And and luckily, come back into that. You know, downtown Isle That's all starting to come back. And even our Oceanside flats are too. Mm-hmm. So I'm very excited about this season with bone fishing and and the more that I can get out there and the more I can chase those fast suckers, I will.
2: <laughs> and what's your favorite way to fish for them? Do you like to fly fish for them or bait? Chill. Um, I'm a like- bait,
1: yeah. Like yeah. like spin tackle bait. Um, mm-hmm. and uh, I do fly fish. I don't do it as um, a guide. I'm not there yet. Um, but I do enjoy it. Yes.
2: What about Richard Stansic? What's his bait of choice? Is he a shrimp guy or a crab guy?
1: He's a shrimp guy. Of course he is.
2: <laughs> Matter of fact, I used
1: to have to, t- I used to take care of his shrimp for him.
2: Uh, and, and why don't you tell me how he likes to have his shrimp taken care of? I could probably learn a thing or two.
1: <laughs> so, um, you know, it's just, he has to have the most perfect shrimp. They have to be all handpicked. They have to be a certain size. They have to do this. And you know, when you're, when you are legendary on what you do and you're known for that, then you're gonna learn the the best. So like I remember this one trip we went out, we went, he was getting ready to go to the Bahamas and blue marlin fish. And he was like, I need some bait and this and that. So we went and uh caught, I think I caught like 43 ladyfish that day. <laughs> <laughs> we sat out there in a the mud and we we're just tossing jigs, and tossing jigs, tossing jigs and 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 catching all these ladyfish. I had ladyfish slime from head to toe. I
2: guarantee you did. I mean, did.
1: It, I smelled awful. It's a, <laughs> that's the dirtiest terrible. fish there is, is in the, the ocean. It's the nastiest, <laughs> stinkiest. But it's easy to rig when you're marlin fishing, and you know it's it's um, you know stuff like that. And and you know we get a thousand shrimp in from the shrimp truck, and I'm over there at the at the the bait sealing machine for two or three hours sealing up shrimp so he can take it on his plane and go bone fishing over there. It, your bait matters. Um, you know, when you have fly fishing, you, you're going to tie, of course, you're going to tie everything and, and do that yourself. But when it comes to bait, it's the number one thing here in the Keys, mm-hmm. you know? Um,
2: yeah. And, and the, the supply of bait, you know, did, what did you see uh, for a big Marina, like, like Bud and Mary's, did, did their shrimp, um, did they have difficulty getting any baits? I don't usually stop in there to get bait, but. I don't know what their bait usually, situation was all the yeah throughout the corona.
1: Well, usually of all the bait shops in the upper keys down to old past where you are, um, Bud and Mary's usually does have the bait yeah. more than anyone. Um, but that's because of the relationship of the bait to suppliers throughout years. And, you know, when you have certain certain things, you know, if you've got if you got the if you if you got the shrimp you know, boats going out and it's windy, you know, you're not going to get big shrimp. You're going to get little shrimp. So you got to just determine, but you got to have a backup plan. So some days those shrimp don't come.
2: Right. Yeah. So, But they don't come to, they don't come to smaller marinas and, and obscure marinas more mm-hmm. often than they don't come to Bud and Mary's. I mean, Bud and Mary's is, that's, that's a King Marina. I mean, that it's is, sport that's for fishing top.
1: capital of the right, world in right. Isla Mirada. And when, if you talk to any charter captain, any, any guide, you know, at one point, at one point, they either worked or mated or were on a boat at some point of their career at Bud Mary's Marina. So, you know, it's it's the number one spot to be and and, and it's a good place to and, and it's a family place and it's it saved my life. I did have to say that.
2: Yeah. How?
1: Yeah. Um, just introduced me to a passion that that I never thought that it could take me to where I am today.
2: Yeah. You know, so where were you and where are you today?
1: Well, when I started here, I was living in my car, (laughs) (laughs) you know, and I didn't know how to chase bonefish. And now I go out and I put a smile on my face every day and I get up and it motivates me to get out there and chase fish. And, you know, and I make, I'm, I'm pretty big on Instagram and Facebook with my videos and stuff. And I want to be someone's, Eyes out there, someone who can't get off the couch, you know someone that's in a wheelchair, someone that's you know um someone that needs just a little bit of happiness during the day and go ahead and, and show them those fifteen second videos or something like that and and it just it just makes me feel good as well as the people that's watching them awesome,
2: I love that that's so yeah. cool um well, I want to ask a technical question as as you um cause you do a lot of bone fishing and you've done it with the king of bone fishing. What, what kind of hook are you using when you're, when you're doing your shrimp or Richard's doing
1: Um, his shrimp, I guess.
2: (laughs) That's really the question I'm asking. (laughs) What hook does Richard Stanzik use?
1: (laughs) Oh boy. You could try to get me in trouble. you? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I I wouldn't say
2: in trouble. I mean, he sells, I'm sure that he sells them right in the tackle shop. It's public information. It's just the, which one that he actually (laughs) picks himself. (laughs)
1: yes so it is a wide gap worm freshwater hook and the reason is is because when a bonefish picks up they pick up in their crushers so they'll hold the bait like this and what that allows to do is it allows if you use a regular j hook or a circle hook that hook they will gut them so they'll gut swallow them and you'll end up killing the bonefish with that wide hook not only can you put a little bit more shrimp on there but you can also prevent that hook from sliding down their throat and killing them. Mm-hmm. So it's more of um, trying to not kill the fish more than it is of that.
2: Yeah. Is it offset? The one that you use? Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's, a, that's a really good, that a wide gap offset. That was one of my favorite, my favorite hooks um, that, that I liked. A, th- a three ought, that which was, it was this, um, I used to use this one. It was a Matsuo. And I don't know if that company is still in business or not, but, um, uh, they had a really nice bonefish hook and it was a, a wide gap offset, um, standard J hook, just like you're talking about. And, mm-hmm. uh, I learned that trick from, uh, that's what, you know, Mark Croco used something similar. And I was like, whatever he uses, I'm, I'm, I'm on board. Like
1: mm-hmm. obviously mm-hmm. he's catching a lot Absolutely. of fish and, and it <laughs> Absolutely. it certainly
2: did, uh, improve, my fishing right right away because i was using some other kind of hook couldn't rig the oh, shrimp right you know and then yeah. once i got you know that longer shank wide wide gap then uh, it was almost like we it, it went to almost 100% hooking um yeah. right away it's amazing what a little detail like that can do.
1: Yeah. And, and, you know, another thing is like even the length of your leaders to your hook size, to your reels and your drag set and everything, it's all into a, a, a one motion, you know, it even comes down to how many buckets you have in the boat. I mean, it, it's how that. How many buckets you have in the tight. boat? What do you mean? <laughs> yeah, because, well, you know, you, you want to only take out a few shrimp at a time right. to put in your bucket and leave the rest of them in live well. So, I mean, you got to have that. So it, there's, there's a different technique to different things that we do. Um, But, you know, being in that routine with him, he got me to where I did the same thing over and over again for like 10 or 12 trips. And I was like, okay, I got it. I get you. I understand. And, you know, he, he told me more than one time, there ain't no crying in baseball. And, you know, it's, you get up and you do it. And if I didn't have that, I don't, I don't know where I would be today. Be honest with you.
2: Yeah. Well, I mean, fishing and well, I mean, there's lots of things that, that can provide that for lots of people, but mostly it's passion. Mostly it's, it's passion mentors. Um, that tends to, that tends to be a really good, um, way to get somebody out of a funk, to get yourself out of a funk, to, to change your life, to, Mm -hmm. to do whatever. But if you have a mentor that has tremendous passion for what they do, they're super professional, man, that's a really good place to find yourself. Um, especially if it's something that you also have passion in and you want to, you want to do that's a, that's a tremendous opportunity. Um, so, so now you have this other opportunity, um, where you're running the, running the the big charter boat and your bonefish boat. So you want to be fishing in the backcountry all the time, but you're, you're still fishing on the, on the big boat. Um, do you see that changing anytime soon or do you want to, um, what do you want to do? I'm
1: looking at, yeah, I'm looking about purchasing another skiff. Um, my chaos, my uh, 16 foot chaos um, comfortably, you know, when you're, when you're polling, it's, it's one person boat you know, and, and I want to maybe get like a bait boat or something like that, where I can take families out or, or groups of women. But my chaos is my little play toy. Mm-hmm. You know, I do a lot of solo fishing. It's how I relax. It's how I, um, you know, make sense of this crazy world we live in as I go out and I hunt fish, just like when September comes and I'm in North Carolina hunting deer, it's the same way. Mm-hmm. So it's, um, it's something that, um, but I, I want to get, a you know, some kind of like small, bay boat, like yeah. a contender or something like that. And, mm-hmm. or even a yellow fin, yeah. man, those are go. sweet as they sweet are. can be, but I know, um, a couple <laughs>
2: of guys that have those, they're really nice.
1: <laughs> they are very nice. Um, but yeah, I mean, you never, um, I, I like running the big boat. It fuels my adrenaline of offshore fishing, but it's also very rough on the body and here me being 40 years old, I've got to kind of, kind of watch what I do and, and how I treat my body now. So mm-hmm. And in the backcountry, it's, it's just pure relaxation with a little bit more excitement when a bonefish hits.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, well, the bay boat would be, that would be a great choice because, I, I mean, when my kids got uh, to be, you know, a little older, it was just kind of like the the skiff was, was a great opportunity to go out. And it was very simple, um, but the gunnels are very low. And a little kid could easily topple over and go in. A uh, little kid could walk right off the bow. And then when I got a bay boat, I, I had this one day where my, my both my boys started getting a little bit older. They could communicate pretty well. And it's like, we're going fishing, dad? It's like, yeah, let's go. And so I've got both. I've got a skiff on the trailer. I got the bay boat on the trailer. And um, I walk out the door. I'm like, well, which one do you want to take? And they looked at me like I was crazy. And they were like, that one? Like, why would we go in that one? And I was like, well, I guess you're right. Like the skit, and they were pointing at the bay boat. Like, Mm -hmm. yeah, that's the one, that's the one we're going in. Like, why would we want to go in the other one? I was like, I don't know. A lot of people really like going in the little one. Like, they're like, "Mm, we want to go in the big one. Okay. So, but the bay boat's great because you can take, you can take so many more people and um, then you can take bait all over the place. And it's just, it's a, it's a, it's a good it's a good business move to have a bay boat. I think not that you can't do it in a skiff, but a skiff is
1: you can do in a skiff. Absolutely. You just have to, it's a certain clientele and it's a certain, you know, it's, it's your VIP customers. I guess you want to call that. I don't know that the single tournament tournament wise fishing, mm-hmm. um, for that technical skiff, but you know, I can get into five inches of water. Right. And, and, you know, with, with my stiffy hybrid I can go anywhere I want to go and I can catch redfish I can catch snook, I can catch bonefish I can catch tarpon I can do whatever I want go wherever I want and I just installed Florida marine tracks on my new sim ride and and I tell you what I I don't I'm not scared about going to explore now
2: (laughs) yeah Yeah. you know it's it's, there's a lot to explore
1: there's a whole lot to explore but you know now I feel safe now that I can do that Mm so um but i think honestly like if you if you have the opportunity you really need three or four boats to live here in the keys you need a skinny water skiff you need a center console and you need a bay boat and you need an offshore boat so you know and then whatever you're going to go chase that day you just pick whatever boat you want now that's yeah. in a dream world yeah. maybe well, we'll get there you
2: can also well you can get there for sure you can do you can make anything happen but uh, it's also exactly. nice to have friends Like you got your, your friend that has a skiff and you got your, like if you own a bay boat, then you got your friend that has a center console and then you got your friend that has a, has a big offshore boat. And uh, Mm -hmm. then you don't actually have to own them all because sometimes, like they said in fight club, sometimes the things you own will own you. And that is the way that it goes with multiple boats. Sometimes is, you know, the the best thing you can do for a boat in saltwater in my opinion is to use it every single day. The worst Mm -hmm. thing you can do for a boat in the Keys is to Use it a little bit, and then put it away for a long time, and then get it out. Leave the expect, cover on it. <laughs> yeah, and expect everything's going to work when you get it back, and and, and it usually doesn't. I mean, the salt. I mean, that is a really difficult environment. It is a, it is it is really rough on wiring. It's really rough on boats. It just, I don't know. The best thing you can do is use it. The worst thing you can do is not use it. So right. I don't know. It, it, with multiple boats, you can only be on one every day. So the other three sit there (laughs) and that may not be the, the outcome that you were hoping for, then it can be, But
1: you know, I, I want to be on the water every day.
2: Yeah.
1: I want to be, you know, I want (laughs) to, you know what I really want to do. And I, uh, I had this, this thing about this key slam thing that I want to, that I want to make up and it's catching a sailfish and catching a bonefish in the same day. Okay. And that is, um, two of my favorite fish that I love to chase. And I think that's why I fish a little bit on the offshore side and, um, and now fish on the inshore, you know, too. And, and, you know, there's, there's no fences in the ocean, Mm -hmm. but there's a way that you can to do both of those. Um, and, um. It's two of the fastest fish here and 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 it's just it's just something that excites me inside to, to catch either one of those yeah
2: that's cool well you can certainly do that out of a bay boat on a nice day oh yeah can, exactly so catch that's a what it, that's, easy and
1: that's probably the next move I'm making is is a bay boat mm-hmm. um i'm not I'm not ever gonna get rid of my skip though you know because that's yeah. my that's my baby <laughs> yeah. so um but um I think a bay boat would make a lot more sense right now versus you know a big offshore boat
2: cool well when you um you, you inspire people i'm sure you're getting some um some messages and emails about you know people seeing this big transformation you made in your life um what what kind of advice would you give somebody that is in a place that they're not happy with right now or unsatisfied with, maybe it's not a bad place. Maybe it's just a place mm-hmm. that they don't particularly like similar to the situation that you were in. What, what kind of advice would you give them? I mean, maybe they don't want to be a fishing guide, but maybe they want to yeah. do something else like, but they're just unsatisfied where they are.
1: You got to change your life. You do. You just, you know, you got to just full send it to jump two feet in. You have to. And what, if you have a passion for something, it's going to lead you to great things. And um, I, um, I, I tell people that just don't give up. There is, there is the light at the end of the tunnel. It may take you a while to get there, but as long as you have a good heart and you're good to people and you won't know wrong for people, and that'll give you enough great karma to get through life. And um, as long as um, you don't do people wrong and um, they'll, the world and, 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 the environment will take care of you.
2: Nice. I like that. What was the, what was the hardest thing for you in this whole journey? Do you think, when you look back on it, what are the things that you're most proud of that you, that you, uh, overcame challenges that you overcame?
1: Um, you know, just probably getting into this fleet, this Alamorada fleet, you know, that, that was a big challenge, you know, working in the tackle shop, I got to know a lot of the captains and, uh, um, a lot of the guides and um they're real people and they're great people and they're awesome fishermen. And you know, giving them and, and I was booking charters and, and running bait and and sh- being able to give them that um made them more respect me because you know I'm I'm not following fishing for the money, I'm following it for the passion, you know. I I spent money, I spend money when I go fishing all the time, a lot of it. But you know, I just I think that just being a woman and, and getting into a skiff and, and getting um, on my own boat and, and becoming a captain. And I had some hard roads, but there is some wonderful people on this Island and, and Alamorada, you know, they say it's the heart of the keys because it's in the middle of the keys, but it's the community there. Mm-hmm. You know, it takes a village, takes a village to raise a guide. they say, and it's, it's very true. And if it wasn't for people on that Island um, supporting me, and given me the opportunity to live my childhood dream i wouldn't be here yeah i really wouldn't
2: well there are a lot of good people there and there's certainly a lot of good yes. fishing guides and there's certainly yeah. you you have you have carved out a place for yourself like in the most i mean really when you think about it you you left with 300 dollars in your car and you went to the most intimidating the most competitive the most challenging place that you could possibly go. I mean, maybe you could have showed up in Venice, Louisiana. That would be another one that would be intimidating and challenging and, and, and difficult to, to, to carve out a niche for anyone, no matter what your background was, no matter how good you were at fishing, no matter what, like Isla Mirada, Key West, Venice, Louisiana. I mean, just as somebody that knows enough about fishing, those are three intimidating places. And that's, and, and, and you were drawn to it which is interesting to me like it'd be one thing to like say you kind of went to Key Largo which may not be quite as intimidating as Isla Morada but but you went straight to the the bullseye Mm -hmm. Um,
1: I put my feet in the fire
2: yeah did you I mean did you think I mean you it's a long drive from from North Carolina to Isla Morada you could have stopped anywhere along the way could have stopped in, in, in Jupiter. You could have stopped in Boca. I mean, there's lots of places you could well,
1: have, Yeah. Could I landed stopped. in big pine. I landed in big pine key first. And, and, you know, that's kind of where, you know, I live my childhood dreams.
2: That's where um, you went when you were a kid to big pine.
1: Yeah. Cause that's where I went. I what wanted to get the, back. What
2: and, was the connection to big pine?
1: Um, my parents, um, my parents just fell in love with that Island and uh, we stayed in a house down um, on, there's a little fishing lodge there called Mm -hmm. Big Pine Key Fishing Lodge. And uh, I remember when I was five, we used to stay in a tent at the, at the lodge and then we would go and you know, every year we'd increase our housing to, to get, you know, and stay there for the whole summer. Um, But I went back to where I remember being happy. You know, I was at a point in my life in North Carolina where I didn't know what the next day was gonna bring. And I was I was not smiling at all anymore. And I just wanted to find my soul. And my soul came to Alamorada and it, it came to, to flats fishing. It came to backcountry fishing. <laughs> and and just being a charter captain here, I'm on cloud nine every day, every day I wake up.
2: That's awesome. It's funny that you say you couldn't smile in North Carolina because I think for, we've been doing this for 48 minutes and I don't think you've stopped smiling since, <laughs> since we started. I know, that's, the
1: whole, that, that's the whole thing about it is it's like, this is the first time in my life I've really been happy and I'm happy chasing fish and I'm happy showing people what it's like to be out there.
2: So you said you wanted to be a guy, you knew you wanted to be a guy when you were 10 years old, but then you go into nursing, like somewhere along the line did it seem impossible? Like, or that's not something that you do or it's not realistic. Why? I mean, where, yeah. where did you kind of abandon that dream?
1: Um, well, I got married and I had, um, a few children and, uh, you know, and, and life happened and, um, you know, I'd watch you every Saturday morning. <laughs> I'd watch my fishing shows every Saturday morning. I'd Tebow them. I'd, DVR them, you know, and when I'm watching TV, I'm watching fishing shows. And it's really the only thing that kind of made me relax. I work corporate health care. I mean, you didn't smile on that job. <laughs> I mean, I mean, there's people that can do that job, but it was very stressful. And it doesn't matter how many hours it, that I put in on my skiff now, it ain't one day compared to one hour on that job. So, you know, it's it it it's it's just it's crazy on um uh, one day I, I was thirty five thirty yeah thirty five years old, and um I woke up and I was like, "I hate this. I hate this. what What if I go down there, and what if I make it? What if you know you don't think about your failures. You think about whether you get a fly or not?
2: Is, you know, you, uh, go well, you you did. Not everybody does that. A lot of people look it's at that and they go, positive. what if I fail? What if I, what if I fail? What if I, you know, all these things that talk themselves out of doing it. But it's interesting right that you up. said that you say you didn't, you, you think about what if I make it? Like, what if I make it? That was, that's a different way yeah. of looking at it.
1: Yeah. I always look at the positive stuff instead of the negative you're, you're going to be a whole lot happier. Well, you life. do
2: now, but did you, oh, yeah. al- did you always like when you're, when you're in that healthcare job that you didn't um, like, seems pretty no, easy in, to go to the negative in the last negative. couple of
1: years of my marriage, I didn't do that neither. So, I mean, it, it's, um, it, it, you know, when you're, you're looking to change your lifestyle, you're looking to change your whole entire life. People say, Oh, you had a midlife crisis. Well, I hope my midlife ain't at 35, but whatever, I guess I did, you know, I changed all my career and, and, I went to what follows me and my passion of, of of fishing, um, offshore, inshore, bridges, you know, where wherever um is being on the water.
2: You know, it's kind of funny. Um, I don't know, it's become a theme of this podcast because I'm I'm very interested in people that that follow their passion because that's what I did. I I don't think I was if you had looked at my upbringing, if you had looked at where I grew up, if you had looked at all these, I don't think I was supposed to be a fishing guy. I don't think I was supposed to be a, a TV host. Mm-hmm. I don't have any formal training in it. No one in my family did anything like this. It's just something that that I really wanted to do, and I was very passionate about it. And And mm-hmm. it also saved my life, I'm sure, of it. I have no idea what I would be doing if I didn't mm-hmm. find fishing. I'd probably be dead or in jail uh, because I was I was – I had no direction whatsoever. Nothing excited me. Right. I did not want to work a regular job. But, you know, once I found fishing, everything kind of, everything kind of lined up. And and then I wasn't afraid to put the work in. I've never, I've always been a hard worker, but I just didn't, I wasn't a hard worker if I didn't care about it. Like, why? Why do you want to work hard at something that you don't even care about? But, right. Um, you know, I, I don't know. I, I think I got off track there. I don't even know why I was saying that, but um, it, it's, it's. Uh, oh, I know. It It's become kind of a central theme of this because I seek out these stories about people that do something like you have, like you were unhappy doing something else. You only have one life. We're only here once. So why do we want to go through it unhappy? So you make this change. But I know because I made a big change in my life a long time ago. It's not easy. That's a hard decision. And sometimes you just make it and you go and you never look back. But other times there's all these things that you are thinking about that are like what if I fail? What if I, you know, there's all these uncomfortable situations that you get yourself in and millions of chances for you to to throw your hands up and say I I knew I couldn't make it. I, but but the people that don't do that and actually follow through, I'm fascinated with those stories. And the central theme is that I see, like with your story and so many others, one comes to mind right away. Um, Jessica Mills, I don't know if you listen to her podcast, but she she's one of, I, I call her one of my favorite guests, but I, I don't know. I mean, I I like every guest that I've had. I really do. I like her story a lot because it's very much like your story. She went to Auburn. She gets to be a, a an engineer. She gets a great job in an oil field in I don't know Oklahoma or somewhere. And she wakes up one day and she's like, "This is not what I thought it was going to be. This is terrible. I don't want to do this." Yes, I know I'm going to make a lot of money next year, but I really don't want to do this. And so she goes back to something her i mean it's very similar to what you just said she thought about what made her happy where is her soul where is her heart and she goes back to the Appalachian Trail because there was one time in her life where her grandmother took her someplace and she saw this sign and she said what's that and she said oh well that's the Appalachian Trail and she said what's what is that and her grandmother said well you could get on that trail right there and you could walk all the way to Maine and and that put like this thought in her head that mm-hmm. subconsciously, I guess is still there all the time. And she hadn't thought about it for years. And then she's out here in, in Oklahoma and she thinks, what would make me happy? And she immediately goes right there to the Appalachian trail, like something that mm-hmm. happened in her youth mm-hmm. and, uh, and gravitates towards it and actually follows through and does it like, and then she did the continental divide trail and she did the Pacific crest trail. It's funny. she, she said I don't I, I don't know anything about camping. She's a triple crowner. Like she knows a lot about camping, but she said yeah. she said um I thought it was kind of funny. She was like, "Well, I've only been camping 3 times. Once was the Appalachian Trail, once was the Continental Divide Trail, and once was the Pacific Crest Trail." I mean, that's like 6 months on each one, you know, but wow. she she's she says she's only been camping three times. Yeah. <laughs> but wow. but it's kind of cool how how it's similar kind of similar kind of theme that you 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 gravitate back to something from your mm-hmm. from your youth that, that made you super happy. And in your case, you follow through and you're doing it. I mean I am you wake up every morning and you're like yes
1: happiest can be. <laughs> I'm
2: doing this. That's I awesome. am
1: doing this. That's yes. awesome. And I and I hope I'm a good role model too to women and to teenage girls and, and to, to follow their childhood dreams. And, um, you do only live one time and if you're not happy with your life, change it.
2: Wow. Well, you did.
1: I did. Congratulations. <laughs> I sure did. Thank you. I mean,
2: it's, it's super awesome. So uh, if anybody wanted to go fishing with you, what would they do? How do they, how do they um, book you?
1: Yeah, they can look me up um on Instagram and uh Facebook, Blue Water Girl Charters. Um I also have my own website, um, Blue Water Girl Charters um at G at dot uh, com. And you can also reach me on um the company phone at 305 896 3768.
2: Wow. Awesome. Well, I think yeah. you'll I think you'll get some get some people um to want right, to go fishing so. with you because um
1: I want to fish with you. Yeah, Well, let's
2: do that. We should do, we should I do that. I would love to wanna, do that. I want to, um, I, I, I want to learn all the Isla Morata secrets.
1: <laughs> I don't know about that now. <laughs> well,
2: I've fished in Isla Morata a lot, but I've never fished with Richard Stanzik and you fished with him 300 times. So I'm pretty sure, you know, something I don't, I know that <laughs> for sure. Um, so yeah, we'll do that. We'll go fishing. That'd be great. Um Absolutely. well good man. Well congratulations. I'm really uh I'm really excited for you. It's it's a Thank inspiring you. story. It's a it's a it's a story of just making something happen. That's
1: make it happen. It's as
2: simple as that. You are yep. not happy you make Jump it happen. two
1: feet in and full send it <laughs>
2: i love it that's awesome yeah well good for you good for you well thanks for coming on the podcast and telling your story i really appreciate it and um if you're looking for a a, a good fishing trip this is definitely one i would definitely go with her yes and um uh, you're you would you would fish out of isla Murata, you'd fish out of uh key largo you'll fish out of yeah anywhere? i
1: fish um uh, upper keys mm-hmm. um i would say anywhere from long key to key largo okay Awesome. Yeah, that's um. I really love Lower Mattoon honestly. And that's probably the you know in the downtown flats, but mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's yeah. it's a special place.
2: Yeah, it is. All right, Deb. I know you got some fishing to do. You got absolutely. Uh, yeah, I'm
1: going tonight. Are you? I'm getting ready to leave now. Mm-hmm. You
2: going tarpon trip? Tarpon trip tonight or?
1: Um, you no, I'm actually um gonna go fish the last of the tide for the bonefish over okay. here at the airport flat. So I've get you in off <laughs> those bonefish.
2: Ago. Can't Just get off the bonefish. Yeah.
1: I I can't get away from them. I love them. That's good. They they are so cool. That's
2: good. That's awesome. All right, Deb, thank you very much. And uh, we'll have you on again.
1: All right. Sounds wonderful. Thank you.
2: See you.